podcast all about phrase etymology and why we say the things that we say. I'm Milo. And I'm Dave. He's my dad. And she's my daughter. That's how that works. Yes. Well, normally. Yeah. yeah. Now and then. Yeah. When the stars align. Ooh. What about the planets aligning? See, that goes into kind of astrology stuff, and I actually don't know anything about that, which I kind of feel bad as a 24-year-old woman type person not knowing about astrology. Cause I, it, I don't know much about it either. Well, you're not a 24-woman-ish something. Why but. do women, do you think women know more about that than men? Oh, historically, yes, for really? sure. Yes, oh. astrology oh. has been, I think, largely like um, a feminine thing stereotypically i don't know if that's how it started i actually don't know that much about it but it definitely has at least in 2020 like connections with like the witch culture thing which is very feminine yeah yeah and that has nothing to do with our episode no not even a little we really got sidetracked right out of the start but what else would you expect listener you've probably been here for a little while you know this is (laughs) you probably know by now bunny trails are a must and they're gonna happen we like bunnies we do like bunnies. There's one lit- literally right across from us, not a live one. It's a stuffed one with a mustache, but... Yeah, which I'm going to take a picture of it right now. He's an, our unofficial mascot. His name is Kravitz. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Um, I'm going to take a picture of it, and we're going to put it on the webpage. Perfect. Yeah. There's going to be some other good pictures to put on the webpage for this one, too. Oh, so is there? Buckle up, buttercups. Oh, boy. That's not what we're going. We're not doing buckle up, buttercups today. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can find the root to that, but I'd like to, because I think that's fun. Yeah. So, as fun as Buckle Up Buttercup is, we are going in a different direction today. Okay. With pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Ooh. Are you familiar? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I've heard of that phrase. It's it feels old to me. It feels like mm-hmm. early um early 19 early uh, 20th century, okay. early 1900s, I would say. Okay. That's what I would think. Not I think a bad of, guess. I would think I think to- I think Teddy Roosevelt. That's what oh, I think of when okay. I hear pull yourself up. By your bootstraps. See, that's a that's an interesting guess too, because as we'll get into a bit, there is definitely a political uh, side to this phrase that okay. wasn't necessarily always there. Oh. Um, but I think definitely most people today would see it often as like a political rhetoric thing. Mm-hmm. And that was certainly, I think, my first um, brush with it was sort of in uh, AP history back in 10th grade and learning about American independence and mm-hmm. the self-made man Yeah, that's very attractive to certain uh, political, you know, leanings. Yes. So. Delicately put. Thanks. I'm yeah. a politician at heart. I see that. A diplomat. <laughs> exactly. So you were actually pretty on the nose. It I saw a, a, quite a few different places that claimed to be the first publication of the phrase. Mm-hmm. One I found was from a late 1800s physics textbook. So you you were pretty close. I would not Time. have guessed a physics no, textbook. No, that's kind of out of the blue. I was surprised at that. A late 1800s physics textbook. Um, it had an example question in it. Why cannot a man lift himself by pulling up on his bootstraps? 
that that seems more like philosophy than <laughs> than yeah. physics to me. But hey, maybe that's how school was in the 1800s. Oh dear, that reminds me of the old famous question: Is can God create a rock so large he can't? Yeah, lift? it's kind of like one of those fun. Fun? Is it fun? No, no, no. no. Nobody really likes no uh, likes thought puzzles. And if you do, dear listener, you're weird. Yep, and go listen to Hey Riddle Riddle, which is a more popular podcast about riddles. It's great. Also claimed to be uh, the first place, uh, etymologist Ben Zimmer claimed that the phrase originally came from an American newspaper in September of 1833, in which, oh, are you ready for a good name? Oh, yeah, always. (laughs) Buckle up. Nimrod Murphy. No. Are Nimrod you, Murphy. Do you know, you know where the name Nimrod originally comes from? Yeah, it's like Poseidon, right? No, well, Book of Genesis. It's a Nim, there's a oh, Nimrod that's right. In the Early, like, first six chapters of Genesis is mm-hmm. Nimrod is named. That'd be interesting to look into is why that's used as, like, a name for a dumb person now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, nobody uses that anymore, but maybe, like, 50 did. years ago. Yeah, yeah. There was actually a uh, – there is a, there is or was a high school in northern Michigan that was the – Nimrod something was their, like, their – Their mascot? Yeah, their mascot. Am I wrong in thinking that Nimrod often means, like, idiot, though? It did for a while there, but in, in back in Old Testament days, Nimrod was a mighty hunter. Oh, and I then, see. But he disobeyed God kind of a thing. It didn't go well. Anyway. I guess the athletes are why. really just pinning on the... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome the mighty Nimrods. We're not known for our test scores. No, or <laughs> but, but they're good hunters. See, there you go. There you they, go. they meet their priorities. And you know, yeah. you need bronze and brain. So... That's right. Evens out. Yeah. Um, so Nimrod Murphy, back in 1833... Nimrod Murphy had claimed that he made a perpetual motion machine oh, way back good then. Oh, job, Nimrod. Um, did, so he... Do you, okay, hold on. Uh-huh. What do you think they call them as a nickname? Nimmy? Nim? R- Rod Boy? No? <laughs> no? You know, uh, uh, no? Probably not. It's dinner. <laughs> Nimmy, time for dinner. Uh-huh. Secrets of Nim. Anyway, oh, so Nimrod Murphy... Sent in, like, telling everybody he invented this perpetual motion machine. Okay. And the mobile advertiser, which was a newspaper, I guess. Probably Mobile, Alabama. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Took that story and responded to him very kindly by saying, Probably Mr. Murphy has succeeded in handling himself over the Cumberland River or a barnyard fence by the straps of his boots. So they did not take him seriously. No. Uh, So... Also, I saw it claimed that James Joyce was one of the first users of this phrase oh, really? in Ulysses in oh. 1922. Oh. He wrote, there were others who had forced their way to the top from the lowest rung by the aid of their bootstraps. You know, um, are you that familiar with James Joyce? I have never read anything by James Joyce. Mm-hmm. I am the shame of the English department. And you know, of course, you know what his nationality is. Well, no. Okay, I might not. I, this is a big gap in my what literature knowledge. Guess? This is a bunny trail, but... Uh, he's Irish. Okay, I was going to say Scottish, Irish. so... He wrote a book called Finnegan's Wake. Yes, that is supposed to be incomprehensible. Incomprehensible. Yes. It's just nonsense unless you're really smart or very Irish or some combination of the two. Or making it up that well, you get it, because that is certainly sometimes... Yeah, that's happens. sometimes the case. Yeah. But people try to read it. I didn't. I kind of want to. It just seems like the Everest of being a lit major. <laughs> and you can find quotes from it on Goodreads. 
like <laughs> hold quotes and you're like you're reading it like I don't understand. You know how like Jesusy blogs will put like inspirational quotes on like pictures of white women in fields picking flowers. Who does? I'd this? like to do that with just like Finnegan's white quotes. Can we do that? We should start. Let's do that as a thing for the podcast. Sure, let's page. do that because that right. seems like fun. All right. I would like to have a, a blog making a poking fun at some of those uh, more twee uh, quote pages. So there's a lot of different like disagreements there, but there is one that's kind of my favorite that I think it wasn't so much claimed that it uh, invented it because based on all these different threads, we see this in all these places. It seems like it was a pretty well-recognized metaphor, even at these times. So even if they were the first like documented, it seems pretty likely that the phrase or concept had been along around a lot longer before that, just because it was used concurrently in so many different places. Okay. So it is suggested that it was popularized by the legendary tales of Baron von Muchausen. Oh, sure. Have you heard of him? I saw the movie. Did you? Terry Gillum, I think? Yeah. yeah. And uh, Robin Williams is in that place. Oh, did he? The man on the moon and okay. his head detaches from his body and doesn't want to be attached to his body oh. because the body is so vulgar. Oh, I and see. And smelly and he's intellectual and so he chases his own head. Interesting. Yeah, the adventures of Baron Munchausen. Yes, we'll go more into these adventures because oh, they are numerous lovely. and yes. interesting. I have not seen the movie. Apparently, it also has a young Uma Thurman in it. Oh, didn't know that. Yeah, it's so pretty, I kind of want to watch it now. It's a pretty wild ride, and it's very Terry Gillum. Yes, a very humor. kind of wacky. Yeah, and I kind of got that. I went through some of the actual book and read some of it, and it is wild. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, there may be drugs involved. Maybe. Uh, well, more like um, well. We'll get there. Okay. You'll see. All right. That's fair. So in this original book, uh, which I want to read the full title of, the shorter title is Baron Muschausen's Narrative of His Marvelous Travels and Campaigns in Russia by Rudolf Irish Arish Rasp, mm. which is also a pretty good name. It's good. Um, but the full title, which is really fun, is... Baron Muchausen's narrative of his marvelous travels and campaigns in Russia, humbly dedicated and recommended to country gentlemen, and, if they please, to be repeated as their own after a hunt at horse races in watering places and other such polite assemblies round the bottle and fireside. That's the title. That's the full title? Of the book. Oh, that's funny. Plus, there's like 20 of these books, and they all have titles like that. Wow. And Delightful. When were these written? Uh, the first one came out in 1785. And you, they, and you know, they've got to be. That's got to be just humor. He's doing that to be funny, making. Oh, for sure. Yes. So these works were very satirical because ah. they are written about an actual man. Oh, I'll, I'm not going to ruin it. I think I know. So one of the things you're going to mention, but I'm not going to okay. bring it up yet. There was an actual guy. Um, he was a military man named Carl Frederick von Muschhausen. Hmm. Uh, he was born in 1720. And he was known in this in his day as a tall tale teller. Hmm. He would throw these lavish dinner parties, which were seemed to be mostly just to captive to get like a captive audience, <laughs> sure. so that he could tell him his stories about his adventures across Russia in the military. Okay. So his contemporary Rudolf, the red nosed, uh, sorry, the red nosed German, um, who was born in 1736 in Hanover, Germany. He ran in the same circles as Muschausen. It seems like he maybe went to a couple of these dinner parties, and he just hated him. Oh, he hated Muschausen. Like, okay, so office, like in the office when Michael mm-hmm. hates Toby so much? Yes, it seems very much that kind of rivalry where it, it seems like maybe Muschausen didn't really even know that Rasp existed. It's even better. But, like, 
Rasp was just like had a vendetta um, to the point that he invented this really outlandish character to kind of lambast, and he he gave him the same name. It wasn't subtle. <laughs> it wasn't clever. Um, he did he did post he did publish the first book anonymously. <laughs> So he, it was a little bit coward. It was kind of like a non-hate online nowadays. Yeah. But I just kind of want to read some of the adventures of this because there's some really fun stuff. Oh, um, okay. So I found an actual copy of the book. I did not read it because it is really long. Where did you find it? An ebook online. Oh. Um, but at the beginning of every chapter, it gives a summary of what the chapter is about. So I thought I'd read oh. a couple of those because they're pretty great. Fire away. So... This is chapter three, I believe. The Baron slips through the world after paying a visit to Mount Edna. He finds himself in the South Sea, visits Vulcan and his passage, gets on board a Dutchman, arrives at an island of cheese, surrounded by a sea of milk, describes some very extraordinary objects. They lose their compass! <gasps> their ship slips between the teeth of a fish unknown in this part of the world. Their difficulty in, in escaping from thence arrive in the Caspian Sea. Starves a bear to death! <laughs> What? A few waistcoat anecdotes. Those are the best kind. In this chapter, which is the longest, the Baron moralizes upon the virtue of veracity. That's all one chapter. Uh, for some people, that is a chapter. Yeah, that's, I mean, what a wonderful life if that's one chapter of it. You know, the, you know what hits me, what strikes me after you reading the description of that chapter? Uh-huh. What a horrible place that would have been for lactose intolerant people. Yes, the island of cheese by the sea of milk. I have three children. I would wither away and die. We would. That would be sad. Yeah. Unless they had other things on the island other than cheese. Because, I mean, if the island's made of cheese, you probably don't eat the island. Probably don't eat that. Uh, Especially if it's Limburger. How about shoots a stag with cherry stones? The wonderful effects of it. Kills a bear by extraordinary dexterity. His danger pathetically described. Attacked by a wolf, which he turns inside out, is assailed by a mad dog from which he escapes. The Baron's cloak is seized with madness, by which his whole wardrobe is thrown into confusion. Nice little fashion note. Well, there's two things. If we're looking for patterns, and we are talking about that earlier before (laughs) we started this, you see something with bears. I was going to bring that up, because guess what? There are no less than five chapters that have to do with him fighting bears. But he starved a bear to death. <laughs> yes, like, he starves was... a bear to death. There's multiple chapters in which he fights two bears at a time. Oh, that's brave. Uh, he kills one with a hatchet at some oh. point. That seems dark. I didn't read that one. How do you um, starve a bear to death, though? That, intentionally? Hard to say. Hard to say. But he's also known for having a trip to the moon. Yes. Um, he is sure. swallowed by a giant fish. He fights a 40-foot crocodile. Oh. Um, and he notably uses laurel tree branches to fix his horse when the animal gets cut in two. Uh, so I actually read this chapter just because I was very curious about how that works. How does that work? Also, there's multiple statues of him riding a half horse. <laughs> so I'm just going to summarize this. Uh, he basically is just riding around a town. He rides into a city and, uh, suddenly realizes as his water, as his horse is going to drink some water, that the water is just falling out the other end. And he looks over and realizes that the back half of his horse is gone. Oh. And he's like, oh, I wonder how that happened. That's good. So he rides his little half horse back and retraces his steps. So in a normal horse would be... Uh-huh. And this would just be... <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I don't I know like if people it. can hear that, but I was doing sound effects. I don't I, know. I'll cut a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'll get the coconuts. Yeah, we don't. We're talking yeah. curry gold, so. Um, 
So he goes back to the gates of the city and finds that when the gate like snapped up and like oh, shut, sure. it cut his horse in half and the oh. other half is just like flopping around oh. outside the city. So he finds some young like trees and like stitches the horse together and then it like grows a little canopy so he has shade when he rides his horse. Sure. Why not? I, it's rather fantastical. Then, so, as you can tell, there's a lot happening. Yes. And a lot of, as that happens with a lot of, like, old satire, most of it is lost to time. Sure. Like, because we don't know all, like, the nuance of... We don't know all the nuance of what the references were. So it just reads as batshit insane. And yeah. it's kind of fun. But also, there's a lot of racism, so probably don't read it. Well, I mean, when was it written? 1700s? 1785. Yeah. yeah there's, that'll gonna, do it. Mm-hmm, that's going to be there. Uh, he also fights Don Quixote in one scene. So, you oh. know, they really go well, for Wait a the... second. Don Quixote was... I mean, did, I, that makes me wonder when Don Quixote was written. I, I've actually read Don Quixote by Cervantes. Have you? Mm-hmm. Um, my, I was once given, and I, this is kind of funny, you know, the whole backhanded compliment thing? You know this backhanded yeah, compliment. Yeah, of course. One of my you co- taught me well. Because yeah. <laughs> I gave you examples. I never gave them to you. Uh, so let me just make that clear. Uh, <laughs> never gave my children backhanded compliments. That's what he says. It's the truth. Anyway, one of the guys I used to work with told me that I was the probably the most intelligent, undereducated person he'd ever met. <laughs> I remember you telling me yeah, about that. Yeah, I, I still don't, and I don't, I'm not that I'm all that smart, but he was like, you're pretty smart for a dumb guy, is kind of what <laughs> it sounded like to me. So yeah, but I have read Don Quixote. I read, okay. I read it. I yeah. Know it, the author. It was published in uh, 1605. Tilting after windmills and all yes. that. Can you name his sidekick? Tonto. <laughs> no! <laughs> no! That is not, no, not Tonto. <laughs> Who is played by Jay Silverheels, by the way. I don't know why I know that. Sure. Um, Anyway, um, Pancho Sanza. Yes. I think. Pancho Tonto. Pancho. No, no. (laughs) Different things. I have not read Don Quixote. My only familiarity with it is that they do it as a play in the uh, TV show Grace and Frankie. (laughs) And now you know from this reference that uh, it actually gets mentioned in the Baron... Munchausen. Munchausen. Which I am probably saying wrong. I'm sorry to everybody who's German. I don't know how to say German things. This is the thing about podcasts is you get something wrong, which we invariably and inevitably will. People are just screaming at their radios like, yeah. You can email us nicely, please, and I've, we will do corrections. I've done that. I've had people, uh, some of the podcasts I listen to, somebody will say something wrong. I'm like, mm-hmm. they talked about the other day, I was listening to Rob Lowe's new podcast called yeah. Literally. He says literally instead of literally. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah, but he had good guests, and they were saying the last game at the um, Pontiac Silverdome, and he was calling it the Pontiac Superdome. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not what it's called. Sorry. You should definitely write him. I'm sure he hasn't heard it oh, already. I have. Okay. I, I, no, no, I, he doesn't care. So I promise that this isn't too far afield because, um, notably, in Baron Mushausen's narrative of his marvelous travels and campaigns in Russia, there is a scene in which the Baron himself gets himself out of a swamp just by pulling on his own ponytail. So he pulls his ponytail and lifts him and his horse out of the swamp. Wow. So, uh, and then it's said in the American retelling that he pulled himself by the bootstraps, not by the ponytail, which okay. is less painful, There it <laughs> I is. would assume. Um, but yes, so that seems to be what popularized it, at least in America, is mm. this very, I think that's pretty visually evocative, this guy pulling himself and his horse out of a swamp just by, you know, 
tugging on himself. That would, nope, that didn't come out right. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> so he pulls on his bootstraps or his ponytail, and somehow that pulls himself. That's a lot of strength. Doesn't exactly. make any sense, but nope. But that's kind of the point. Is it was this outlandish, and that's what made it um, satire. Is it was just basically Rasp taking a look at Mushausen and saying, "You're full of shit. You're an ass." <laughs> and I'm just gonna conflate that to high hell. Yeah, as well you should. Um, so I did find this is also gonna go off a little bit because I just started researching Rudolph Rasp a little bit. Sure. And it turns out his life is legit crazy. Really? I so it started out where I was just reading like his entry in like the Encyclopedia Britannica and it was just kinda like, oh you know, he's he was a novelist, he was a scientist, a philosopher, and a con man. Ah, there and then it is. my little ears go, prick! Like a con elf. man, you say? Mm. Tell me more, internet. You say. So I started looking into Rudolf Rasp. Um, I'm leaving out his middle name because I don't know how to pronounce it. How do you think you pronounce it? Erish? It's like Eric, but with an H at the end. Oh, okay. I don't speak German. No, I don't either. But I do love German words. <laughs> they are great. I don't know many of them. Can but I just go over a couple of them just because we're me. already down the buggy yep, trail? Yep, let's do it. And if you're listening at this at this point, if you're still listening to the podcast, you know this is what we do. So yep. you either love it or you've stopped listening. That's my guess. <laughs> All right. So German word for ambulance is... You ready? I'm ready. Krankenwagen. Oh, so good. Oh, and how about Krank. how about hospital? Oh no. Krankenhaus. I'm a little concerned about your trip to Germany. If these are all the words that you picked up. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I haven't been to Germany. I know. How about butterfly? I feel like I do know this one. Schmetterling. Oh no, it's quite different than the papillon of French. Yeah. So if you have to take a butterfly to the hospital in an ambulance, <laughs> the Schmetterling in the Krankenwagen to the Krankenhaus. Yes, I like your uh, conjugation in yeah, English well, there. Yeah, I, well, I, I can only do what Connective I know. Connective tissue. I know. Well, it's not pretty, but there you go. We just lost all our German listeners, so... We did have, we do have some German we listeners. We do have a German listener. Hi, our German listener. I'm we have sorry. no idea who you are, but we oh, love you. Oh, thank you for um, listening, at least up to this point. Yep. Sorry, go ahead. Oh my gosh, what a tangent. <laughs> this is a tangenty episode. It's okay. Mm. Rasp, he was super, super into geology. Okay. He was a rock guy. So, long story short, there's very much information out there about this, and a lot of it is very confusing because I don't know that much about geology. He basically had this theory about volcanoes that he stole from another guy. How do you... Okay. Uh, It was like this old text that he, like, uncovered because he was also a librarian. He worked as a librarian. While he was doing that, he discovered this old text that had all these old theories about the way that, like, tectonic plates worked. They didn't, like call it that in the day but that was my understanding from a modern perspective of what they were talking about okay so basically how everything in the earth's crust works and he started like kind of passing this off on his own and like saying that he was writing this huge thesis on it but mostly he was just stealing this other guy's work oh boy. um but that isn't even the fun part he also was for a while placed in control or like he was the curator of this uh collection this gem collection um, from the Landgrave of Hass Castle, the Chair of Antiquity at the Collegium Coloronium in Castle. Dunno. But he just started selling them off, the gems. 
Sure. Um, so, not? you know, this this librarian who's stealing someone else's life work is also just like stealing some priceless gems and selling them off on the side. And he's supposed to be the curator of this collection. And it's not like they had eBay back then. You had to be real discreet. <laughs> yes. But apparently he was not discreet enough because he had to flee to England in 1775 uh-huh. after be- having just been discovered. He took like a trip to Italy, got kicked out of Italy. Um, How do you get kicked out of a country? Well, he went to Italy to sell like the... Oh. All the stuff that he sure, was stealing. They were like, nah. Yeah, so so he he committed quite a lot of fraud. <laughs> um, so he was kicked out of Germany. Then he went to Scotland to oversee some mining operations, More and gems. then he committed mining fraud. I don't, I don't know what that means. He, he basically was super in love with the concept of tungsten, and okay. like lied about tungsten a bunch, and got kicked out of Scotland for it. Wow. Yeah. So then, basically, he retired to Ireland. Okay. Um, and started writing novels. The Irish took him in? Yeah, well, I don't think they really knew he was there. Because yeah, uh, he kind of went into some backwater little town and just kind of like got scarlet fever, wrote some books, and then oh. died. Oh, dear. Wow. Yeah, so he, you know, he was an interesting, complicated man. He was expelled from the Royal Society of London. He committed a lot of fraud. And was just generally a kind of he. I think he kind of gives our um, Mad Marquis a run for his money Boy, in terms the, of the top villain from our oh. podcast. Who's the most villainous? I mean, we did talk a lot about blackface and hunky dory. We did, but we didn't necessarily pin it on a That's person. That's true. Yeah. No. I. I top think. Villain. I, I think know. Mad Marquis maybe still wins because he was more violent. Yeah, but this guy's got a longer track record. Maybe. This, yes, this guy did. He had a lot of uh, lies kicking around. You send us your thoughts, listeners. Yes, um, we'll have a running vote on the most yeah. villainous. And if you haven't heard of the Mad Marquis, you got to rewind a little bit and go back to episode two where they paint mm-hmm. the town red. It's quite a ride. It is indeed. So, Rasp and his fictionalized Mushausen mm-hmm. uh, left a really long impact on the world. If you yeah. think about just, like, the ways in which that phrase has endured, but also the filmmaker uh, Mies, I believe, it's French, okay. the one who did A Trip to the Moon, one of the earliest yeah, silent like the, movies. Yeah, one of the first. It is, it is guessed, because it was known that he was a huge fan of these books, <laughs> that that was partially inspired by the stories of Mushausen, oh, because Mushausen went and visited the moon in multiple stories. Um, so it, there's a pretty strong connected tissue there, and obviously that's had a huge effect on the history of film. Um, also, an important bonus word that we get in this episode Ooh. of Etymology Corner in computer engineering. So, the phrase pulling yourself up by bootstraps, popularized, as we think, by the Mushausen stories. When computers were first being invented, they had to come up with all this new terminology. And so a lot of it is very idiomatic. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is self-referential because they had to explain it to other people really quick. So they had to do it in ways that were like referencing things that people would already know and that were already parts of popular lexicon. Uh, So I'm actually going to just read this part from Gizmodo uh, because I don't know anything about computers. And I think (laughs) they they worded it quite well. So I'm just going to read this paragraph. Okay. Back in the 1950s, the earliest computer engineers had a conundrum. Put simply, they didn't know how to describe the process of turning a computer on. It sounds bizarre, but they were working at a time when most machines were fairly simple on and off states. You flicked a switch, the device powered up, and it was on. Computers didn't work like that. You'd flip a switch to send... 
power to its circuitry, but then it would need to load a tiny bit of software code. And then that code would load more code, which loaded more code, and so on until its peripherals and operating systems were running and ready to execute programs. To be fully on, in other words, the computer had to go through a several step process. The really revolutionary part was that the machine was essentially starting itself by loading each new piece of code until it was finally ready. So these early engineers finally hit upon the perfect way to describe what their machines were doing, pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, or mm. booting up, as we would say to get oh. today, or rebooting. Oh, yeah. I did not know. Yeah. Did See, there you know. go. That's rebooting Crazy. is from the pulling up by the bootstraps. Uh, so... This phrase shows up in our world in a couple different ways now. I mean, I think most of us use rebooting more often than anything um, in regards to this phrase. It's, you know, a solid part of the English language now. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, that phrase still exists, like we mentioned before, especially in like political arenas. Yes, arenas and, and speeches and everything. It's sort of this, you know... The image of the American, you know, the American way. Mm-hmm. You do it on your own and you make it happen. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of threaded into a couple other areas. It's part of a, a feature of studying arguments. There's something called a Muschhausen trilemma, which oh, is this thought okay. experiment about uh, the impossibility of proving truth. So it's just sort of like how you can like tick parts against each other because okay well if you accept this well that has something that you believe because of that so it's it's just a way to disprove any claim that somebody makes there's also the bootstrap paradox which we often see in like time travel sci-fi which is a sequence of events in which an event is among the causes of another event which in turn causes the first event yes so it's that circular doctor who i remember the first thing i ever ran into it that is in doctor who where um Amy Pond names her daughter after her childhood best friend, who turns out to be her daughter. And I was like, as a kid, I'm like, but then where did her name come from? (laughs) What? You will go mad. It's like an Escher drawing. Yes. My little 12-year-old brain just exploded. Yeah, it was unfortunate. And it was was tough to clean up. It's taken years. Uh, It's also reached into the medical system. Uh, yes, where we see has. Muschhausen syndrome. That's what I was going to bring up earlier. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I got there with my last point. I was going to. I was wondering if you're going to get there because yeah, that's, that's something funny. I'm aware of. Okay, tell me more. Um, I'm aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. Is that the one? Listeners, where they... I went to take a drink as he explained it, and <laughs> no, is that the one where they they pretend their kid is sick? Is that the is that no? It's it's to make it oneself sick by believing that one is sick. Oh. So it's kind of the same thing as like hypochondriac. Oh, but um, they really like okay. Either they really believe that they're sick, or they start to at least feel like elements of being ill mm-hmm. because they believe so strongly that they are ill. So again, pulling yourself up by, by your the own, own yeah by your own strength or belief strength of belief yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. Um that yeah, that was that was an interesting ride. We met some interesting yes, people. We did, and some interesting names. Uh it's it's just interesting to see how, you know, a little piece of language that reaches back pretty far, how it became popularized and all the different ways it kind of seeps into our culture mm-hmm. of the time because 
language is Mm self-referential. And so as we try to make things easier for others to understand, we name things after other things and everything kind of branches out and entangles into each other. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And then after periods of time, and we've bumped into this a little bit in past episodes and we will again in the future, just the evolution of a word, like being rebooted now, mm-hmm. you know, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and it eventually things just kind of morph and merge and become what they are. And of course, that's the fun thing about languages. It's never done. Right, exactly. It's always evolving. And you can like trace back the little pieces and follow the little, you know, the bunny yeah. trails. Yeah, the and, breadcrumbs. Yeah. And that's what we try to do here. We do. Yeah. So tell me what your favorite thing was as we try to remember to do this thing. Yeah, as we try with with varying degrees of success. Uh, I, I well, I'm I was kind of entertained by the fact that the thing I was going to bring up halfway through the podcast <laughs> was a thing you actually closed it with. Uh huh. Um, the but it just I think you just it's tough to get beyond Rasp and the man that he was and getting kicked out of multiple countries. Yes. I one time got kicked out of a McDonald's. Oh. Because we were throwing chicken nuggets were fairly new then and they had little sauce packets and we were throwing the things of sauce at each other. You're older than chicken nuggets? <laughs> yes. I am older than chicken nuggets. Wild. I was born in sixty seven, so um McNuggets didn't come out until the eighties. Wild. Yeah, I know. They didn't even know. They didn't even know. So we went from bootstraps to chicken McNuggets. Uh We've been all over the place. Yeah, I think I'll be thinking about Rasp for a while, too, because I think he's just a pretty starch character, especially with, like, his disdain for Mushausen. Maybe he hated Mushausen so much because he actually had an interesting life and Mushausen got more attention. Yeah, and Mushausen was just making crap up, and this guy's Mm -hmm. like, I did stuff. Yes, I actually did stuff, so who's this guy? But I I do think it's also interesting that he published it anonymously because he thought it was below him to be writing fiction. Oh, did he? Yes. So he just kind of was like, oh, this isn't really me. I am actually very scientific, even though I stole all my scientific work and mostly did it as an excuse to commit fraud. But then he he embraced it. And then he, and I do think the other thing that's interesting is um, not to get too deeply into this, is the whole idea of satire. Mm -hmm. And that is really something I think that was much more popular and much more widely understood years ago. I don't think satire works super well now. Interesting. Tell me why. Because I don't think people... Because things have a tendency to be more broad. Mm. And and it's, it's just because... Okay, get a little deep here. As you get into capitalism and needing to profit from things. Right. Things that are satire and maybe take a... I think satire usually takes a little more thought to understand. Yes. I think it's usually a little because more it's, subtle it's and layered. Nuanced. Yes. And yes. you need to understand the first thing before you can understand that they're making fun of the first thing. Right. And so you're not going to get usually a lot of big money things about movies or books about satire right because it's probably going to appeal to a smaller audience and it's going to be a little more clever and because on the internet a lot of things can lose their original voice which is probably true of the satire of the day too we just don't didn't you know have as immediate of a reaction system but yeah that's interesting i think i do still see satire around um but i think our culture too is is really steeped in sarcasm and cynicism in a way that makes satire feel right now kind of like middle school boyish. Well, and a little tamer, but I think satire can actually change things where I think sarcasm 
uh, will pretty much just make people angry and satire, I think, kind of gets you to think a little bit. Right. Like I think of, although if you think of satire that works in Parks and Rec. Um, yeah, that's definitely satire. You, you look at, um, what's his face? We just started watching it. The mustache guy. I know. I'm so sorry. You don't watch Parks and Rec either? No, I've seen all of it. Ron, Mustang- Ron. Oh, Ron Swanson. Ron yes. Swanson. Yes. Ron Swanson's character is, you know, satire of a libertarian. Yes. And, I love... and a very pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of man. <laughs> Way to pull it back together. I Thank like you. Connection. But yeah. But the funny thing is, is people who love him and he's like, he's my hero. And like, no, he's satire. Yes. And, I and he's antithetical to a lot of what the viewers of the show would believe, as I think a lot of the audience is a more liberal um, yeah. audience. And he is not a liberal person. No. But yes, I, 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 that's, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because I hadn't really consciously thought of it as satire, but that, it's full of satire of yeah. the way that, you know, not just local government is run, but government at large. It's not always the most effective, I'll say. No. I don't think it, like, did a lot of great work for... But, I mean, I think it's a great show. It's hilarious. We're uh, we're done with season one, just started season two, so we are very late to the game, and it's one of those shows where you feel like you kind of have to watch because so many people love it and reference it. And it's such a part of like the cultural conscious. Yes. Yes. You like it's one of those like you haven't seen Star Wars, you almost have to go see Star Wars or whatever yeah. because it's so. Anyway, we got way <laughs> off base. But no, good example of of um, of modern satire. I know that um, Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert is has done satire and is pretty known well, for that. you know, that's true. There's probably more satire than I realize because Colbert's first whole run was complete satire. Right. And again, a lot of a lot of people, and the, uh, very conservative people, loved it. And a lot of them were in on the joke and mm-hmm. they got it. They still thought it was funny. Yeah. And that's the beauty of satire is even though you know they're poking fun of you, a lot of times you can still enjoy it where sarcasm rarely has that result. Right, because sarcasm is normally more biting. And uh, I would say, in a way, violent. Aggressive. Yeah, probably, probably um, trying to invoke a reaction. Yeah. A, a negative reaction. It's, it's kind of like poking the bear. It's Te- mocking. The bears. Let's all attack bears. Oh, Let's not. The bears. Don't, no, don't attack um, the bears. But, yeah, I would I would say sarcasm maybe has a, as a word, seems like it's more baiting, whereas satire maybe is inviting a conversation yeah i think it's aggressive i think sarcasm is very aggressive and it's intending to offend yeah where satire is probably more yeah it's more nuanced all right well we got lost in the weeds at the end there but thanks for sticking with us listeners if you did and if they did if they didn't didn't, they're not here they're not here so thanks to all the loyal listeners who stayed uh do you have anything else no i think that's it okay well, you can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter or on any various streaming platforms where you can also review us, can and should, yes. might I say, if, if you, you would have, be so kind. If you have any decency and love in your heart. And we know you do because you're here listening. Right. Says a lot about <laughs> you. Spread the word. Um, we, we have a ton of fun making this, which hopefully is evident by listening to us. And we'd love to have more people um, enjoying this with us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks to Tony Gephardt for making our theme song. And you can email us if we pronounced German words wrong. Or anything else. <laughs> at the watcher, or at watchyourmouthpod at gmail.com. Could you say the email address in a German accent, please? You know, German isn't... Is, is bein...
<laughs> oh no. I don't do German well. I could do Scottish. Okay, go ahead and do it. He lived in Scotland for a while. He got kicked out of Scotland, so go ahead and do that too. Not me. Not me. No, Brass. not not no, not Brass. my father. Uh, We're watching Outlander now, and so I'm listening to the... <laughs> I, I try to mimic it, so it's it's watchyourmouthpod at gmail.com. That's the one. That's not great. That was not great. Oh, well, sorry. you know. Uh, I went to English, so I'm sorry. If you had the chance to change your fate. Would you? Stay curious, everyone. Goodbye.